Francesca and I are enjoying the sunshine in Union Square. Francesca is, she founded the Sacred Courtesan School. You're also working on the Temple of Shadows and the Knights of Eros and all these different projects. We're going to talk about sacred sex and safer sex and polyamory and pheromones and all the exciting things that you're up to. While we're out here in the sunshine, smelling the pheromones and seeing people start to take off their clothes in a nice sunny day. <laughs> so beautiful. And you can then the popcorn and you can hear the birds and then we're going to go do some shopping and connect with our feminine powers because you also do stuff like sacred adornments. I do. I do. I do the allurement of the sacred courtesan and how that has to do with how we adorn our bodies, how we love our bodies and that you know, you've heard your body as a temple, and that's such a nice idea. But, you know, you want to decorate that temple. You want to paint that temple. <laughs> or like, love the temple. Love, love the, the temple. temple. Not just, like, kind of as a throwaway, at, you know, oh, like, maybe once or twice every now and then I sort of love it a little bit. But, like, love it from the outside to the inside. Up close and personal, we, we teach in the course a an exercise that people have to do if they're going to graduate, which is to caress their bodies from head to toe and bless their bodies from head to toe. I mean, thank you for being my body. Thank you for carrying me in this lifetime. And these long, slow caresses release oxytocin, a sense of well-being. And my students are saying that they're really discovering, it's like, oh, I'm discovering how to tell people to love my body. As I'm setting up my, you know, sort of these love temple dates with myself, then my dates with my lover get even richer because I, I know what I'm wanting. I know how to create a temple space for them too. And one of my uh, students just said recently that she had a level of orgasm that she'd never had before, and she feels that it was because of entering your body. I mean, how many of us actually check out during sex? Yeah, if you're not really thinking about, if you're not aware of the sensations, like, how are you going to feel them? And if you don't feel good about your body, if you're thinking, does, you know, do I look good? Is this jiggling (laughs) in a bad way or a good way? I just don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And the really terrifying question, which is, what do you want from me? You know, and if some, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm not doing this work with myself, if a lover says, you know, even really nicely, what can I give to you? I look like a deer in the headlights, like, oh, no. What do you mean? What do, I, what do you mean? What do I, what can you, I don't know what you can give to me. What can I give to What's you? What's on the ah! menu? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's the feeling where I might spend 15 minutes thinking, what should I tell him to give to me that he really wants to give to me right. without ever checking in totally as to what do I really want right now? What is right. my vulva saying? Right. Is she even talking to me? Have I ever talked to her? <laughs> do we have a relationship? Do you talk to your vulva? <laughs> I think it's important to talk to your vulva. Yes. What is your vulva saying right now? <laughs> it's saying, hmm, I love being a vulva. That's what it's saying. And it's like, hmm, it's nice and warm, and these pants are not too tight. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I think my, my vulva is, is sitting on this hard stone, and it's she's present. She's like, oh, that's kind of a little pressure. That's nice. And the warm, sunny day on my skin, you know, all that energy goes, goes down to her. She'll soak it up. <laughs> and that's what our vulvas are saying. Excellent. Well, we're so glad that you've tuned in to Sexploration with Monica, and we'll have more with Francesca Gentili right after this. This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is sexploration. Explore. Play. This is sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. 
so sunny, I can barely tell if this thing is turned on. <laughs> well, the important thing, I think, is that we're turned on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, although it would be nice to get this on tape. <laughs> it would be nice to get this on tape. Imagine what you can do with tape. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Metaphorical tape, that is. or And literal tape, actually, because I guess you, with the, the Temple of Shadows, yes. you know all about, like, bondage tape, for instance. Well, I'm not sure if I'm the definitive expert on the planet, but I have entered the world of bondage, domination, submission, power exchange, sensation. I've entered that world, and I entered that world specifically as a shaman, as a priestess, as a healer, seeking to reclaim the tools, toys, and techniques that have been used in shamanic culture or temple culture, ritual culture for thousands of years, and were actually lost. So I feel like I'm, I'm this archeologist mm -hmm. and anthropologist seeking to find the shards of what was used in transformation, trance, healing, ordeal, initiation, offering. And I see it and I'm, and I'm finding it, but that's really why I went into this particular world or realm or culture, because it really is, it's its own world. I never thought of tape as for anything except, you know, packages right. or, <laughs> or when paper is split and I, need, I still need that document, so I'm gonna tape it from the back and sure. hope that I can still read it. Sure. And you came to this from a place of being a tantric practitioner. I did, and I, I use that term both sweetly and loosely because Eastern Tantra and Western Tantra are two very different things. And in Eastern Tantra, Tantra is a, a spiritual path whose goal is the unconditional and loving acceptance of all that is. It's really a spiritual path. And it has many different practices, mantras, uh, the repetition of words and yantras, looking at pictures and yoga, certain asanas and positions. There's so many pathways of this spiritual connection and sexuality is considered one small piece of it. But in the West, we've come to associate Tantra with a, a sexual pursuit, often the pursuit of pleasure, which is not the goal at all. Sexual pleasure isn't the goal of Tantra? I thought it, they were using sexual pleasure as a way to achieve more awareness. Oh, you mean awareness is the goal. <laughs> oh. oh, tricky. <laughs> tricky, <laughs> tricky. And it's, it's considered actually in the East a very dangerous path because as we go awesome. into awesome, cool, edgy, as we go the danger into, path. The danger path. Pleasure is the danger path. Well, yeah, because yeah. It, we, it's easy to get into excess and lose the goal. Right. Like, did we have a goal here? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Other than pleasure. Although losing the goal is so good. Although the goal needing to be, you know, awareness, because that's all we are anyway. Awareness makes the difference. And I don't know about your life, but anytime I go unconscious, stop really looking at what is going to be the result of my actions right now? If I don't have some small part of me that's staying aware or conscious, drama, really yeah. high drama starts to happen. It, that right. would be my life. It might not be yours. Yeah, sure. I'll <laughs> say yes to that. I mean, I, I think that that's when we start reacting rather than really being present to another person or, you know, when we aren't aware of all the, the giant truck of possibility coming towards us checking in is always important. Yeah, the wounds that we carry, the fears that we carry. Often I'm not relating to you as a person. I'm relating to either my neediness that wants to grab a hold of you to try to soothe how bad I feel, or I'm relating to my fears from the past, like you're not gonna like me, I just know you're not gonna like me, no matter what you're saying or doing, or you don't, you don't really care about me. And I can't even take in, I can't receive what you're trying to share with me. 
And so I think the road to consciousness is a road of being able to recognize all of the parts of ourselves, the magnificent, great, amazing parts, the scared, the terrified, the little, the angry, the primal, and then have an integrated choice rather than reacting and, and flipping, you know, from one to one. Now I'm in my primal. Now I'm pissed at you. Now I'm in love with you. And to be able to say, oh, I'm feeling feelings of love, but let me let me really look at what would be right right now for both of us. I'm feeling feelings of lust. Mm. What would be right right now for both of us? I don't need to react from the feelings that I'm feeling. I can be at choice in how I'm going to act. And ultimately, that is the path of Tantra, is a sense of choice, a sense of awareness, a sense of holding compassion for both the greatness and you know the imperfections. So when I say that I'm a tantrika, I actually sort of cringe almost because I know that in our country, people are going to say, oh, she must be uh, practically a little bit better than a prostitute in some cases, is what some people might think. And they might think that being a prostitute is bad. And they might think that being a prostitute is bad. And if I was speaking to someone from Asia about my practice of tantra, it might look nothing like what they're practicing or what they're training in. It's a word that I would say it's, it's one of those words that if someone says that they're a tantrika or they say they're a tantric or they say they're a dhaka or they say they're a dakini, it's the beginning of a conversation. It's not the end. You need to you ask. You still don't know what they you do. You still don't know what they do. You need to ask a lot more questions about. What questions should they ask? Oh, that's a good question. What is your practice? It would depend on why I wanted to relate to them. So if, if let's say I meet someone who I'm thinking of could be a possible boyfriend or sweetheart then I wanted to ask about, do they include sexual touch or sexual intercourse as part of their interpretation of what it means to be a Dhaka, Dakini, a Tantrika, Tantrika? Do they practice safe sex? Do they feel that they have the magic vulva or the magic <laughs> penis that's somehow <laughs> going to you know, heal everyone? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't actually mean that you're practicing safe sex right. just because your wiener is enlightened. doesn't mean it still can't <laughs> transmit chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. HIV. Exactly. And sadly, there are a number of people in the quote-unquote tantric community who practice something called intuitive safe sex. I, you know, you look like a nice person and, and I have a good vibe about you. Therefore, we don't need to use condoms because we're, you know, the enlightened And energy. I don't think I'm going to get pregnant because no. I can just magically magic it. Away, you know. And with my intention. With my intention. How does that work in for that community? You know, I don't think it works, and I definitely know of STDs that have spread through the community or people getting pregnant, and I think that although intention is incredibly important and incredibly powerful, we're also interacting with an actual world where this is a table, and if I intended to be a telephone with all my might, this <laughs> table is not going to become a telephone. Right, well that, and you're also working with all of the other cells in your body which are not human and not ruled by your awareness and your unconscious mind is also not ruled by your awareness and our bodies are for making babies and harboring bacteria yes they're such nice little incubators of they are. All they're sorts warm of and moist i mean we all like warm and moist don't we, we, do. we so do. i'm really surprised about this intuitive safe sex practice it just doesn't so seem very 
Good. safe. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to ask people. Another thing that we might need to ask people is where did they train or what combinations of practices or teachers or modalities do they include in how they practice their path? And then we can start to assess, do I match with that? Does that intrigue me? Does that inspire me? Or does that scare me to death? <laughs> do I need to start walking slowly the other way? Well, having unprotected sex with someone who has a lot of unprotected sex, for me, that wouldn't work, you know. The statistical virology. Now, there's, there's a saying that the moment we're, we're having sex, there is no such thing as safe sex. We are now in the realm of safer sex. Right. Truly. Mm -hmm. Unless you're masturbating, yes. then it's pretty, pretty yeah. darn safe. With yourself, that's going masturbating, to be... Masturbating, you're only yourself. Yes, that would be very safe. But I was in health education at Kaiser Permanente for eight mm -hmm. years, and we really looked at the statistics and the virology, and we created packets of information about safer sex. When we're starting to have multiple lovers in any way, whether that's in the BDSM, power and sensation, whether that's in tantra, whether that's in just dating and trying to find the one, anytime we're having multiple partners, the statistical chances of our getting something increase, especially if we're having intercourse, if we're having unprotected oral sex. It just, I encourage people to do a little statistical analysis of yourself and your lovers. We were talking with the men and the women in the Sacred Courtesan and Knights of Eros, saying how soon, the men ask this of the women, how soon should we tell you that we're seeing other people? Oh, immediately. immediately. And, the women, and that was the women said, immediately. I want to know. On the first date, definitely before sex, I want to know that you're having intercourse with other people. I want to know whether or not it's protected or unprotected. I need to know this to assess my own risk. And I also need to know if you have herpes. Right. And that would be, if I'm kissing you, that would be oral herpes. And if I'm having sex with you, intercourse, penetrative sex, then that would be genital herpes. Well, and it's interesting because you don't want someone telling you right as they're putting on the condom oh that they point. have HSV 1 or 2, which is the virus that causes herpes. And it's not that you never want to have sex with that person. It's not that you are now going to be a social outcast. It's, it's just that someone wants to think about it and manage their risk. And there's a lot of things that you can do to manage your risk, even with a herpes infection. I mean, if you're not having an outbreak, that's more safe. It's not 100% safe, but it's more safe. If you use gloves or a barrier method like a dental dam or... You know, that sort of thing, it's much condom, more safe. A condom will, will uh -huh. definitely help. And will I, help. I, you know, I have some good news. The good news is not that I have HSV2 or herpes. To me, that's the neutral news because I do have that just in case anybody's wondering. And the good news, though, is that I've had, I counted the other day, and in the last 30 years, I've had approximately 10 live-in primary partners where we're having sex easily five times a week, if not more, and none of them have gotten herpes. And this was unprotected sometimes called fluid bonded sex and I was able to always assess when I was about to get a, an outbreak I would mm -hmm. uh, say we need to not have penetrative sex or do something else mm -hmm. and so none of them and there's so many ways to share pleasure and not have penis vagina intercourse I mean there's so many different things that you can do and it doesn't have to be about like oh well we can't have sex because you know of this thing and you can also take a lysine and all these different I do things. I take lysine every day 
I would say that one of the things to think about around HSV2 is it's not going to kill you. It's uncomfortable when there's an outbreak. Some people have one outbreak their entire life. Some people will have an outbreak, women sometimes right around their period. Some people just every now and then under high stress. Mm -hmm. And worst case scenario, you or your lover gets HSV2, gets herpes, and you're a little owie now and then. Right, and you have to have a conversation, which you should be having a conversation with your partner anyway. Yeah, it's awkward to talk about, but many of us get exposed to not just HSV-1, 80% of the population has HSV-1, which is herpes simplex virus 1, which is the virus that... mouth. Yes, the one that causes cold sores, but you could get it in either region. You know, if you have cold sores and you go down on someone, that's danger, 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 ranger. Don't go there. Exactly, and I'm I'm a very strong proponent of the word, the spoken word. One of the things that I like to do with people I'm attracted to is tell them. (laughs) I will say, I find you very attractive based on the signals that our pheromones are giving us and the way that you're holding my arm or that you've just caressed my hand. I'm fairly sure that we will have a great time in bed. So I'm attracted to you and I want to have sex with you. Now, what's between here and there is just what needs to be put in place so that that could happen. And that way it takes the pressure off of, does she like me, does she not like me? Are we going to have sex, are we not going to have sex? We get that out of the way, and then I, we just talk about what do I need? And maybe right. I need emotional safety. I need, to, I need some time to talk to you as a person and right. get to know your heart, your soul, a little bit about you before we have sex. Mm-hmm. Maybe it says we need to both get tested before we have sex. Mm-hmm. It's whatever it is. Right. But when we ask the men, what's one of the, the sexiest thing that a woman can do? They said, be clear. You know, be clear, express your attraction. And somehow there's this weird thought that men will find us more interesting or attractive. If we play hard to get. If we play hard to get. I know, I hate that one. I hate that belief. And I think that- so tricky. I think that comes from that men find us attractive when we're confident, when we have clear limits and boundaries. So women play hard to get rather than being healthy individuals with clear limits and boundaries that help them feel connected to another human being before they have sex. And once again, if you're coming back to self-pleasuring, if you're in touch with yourself on many levels, touch, in touch with yourself, you can let someone know what do you need to really abandon yourself like a wild woman in bed because every man would love that he would love to feel that he's in bed with this just she animal that's letting loose and and really experiencing her pleasure so what do you need for that to be able to happen right what do you need to be safe being your wild sexy self exactly and uh, and men I believe you know I've I've interviewed so many men try it if you don't believe me try it interview your male friends or your lovers and say if you knew that I wanted to have sex with you and there just needed to be some things set in place before I could totally abandon myself to that experience with joy, would you be willing to do that? And what I've gotten as a result from those interviews is the men saying yes, 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 if they feel a mutual attraction and interest. And if they don't feel a mutual attraction and interest, then they're not going to take the time to get you ready. And why would you want to be with that man? The process, the getting ready and the ramping up to all of it is so important. It is so important, and I would say for men, and this is, this is true for men and women, both sexes, we just did it this weekend, we went through this big interview process with the men and the women of our course, both men and women said what drives them crazy is when they feel like they're getting mixed messages. 
when the man feels like I feel her, her, I smell her scent, I, I feel the energy, she really wants me, but she keeps saying no, no, no. And the men were saying, what should I pay attention to? Her nonverbal cues or her verbal cues. And then the women were saying that they just feel crazy when a man feels like he's saying two different things. Like, I love you, but I don't want to have sex with you. Or I want to have sex with you a lot and regularly, but I don't love you. Mm -hmm. And those two things will end up feeling like they can't go together. And what I say to either gender is if you're getting two different signals, whether that's verbal and nonverbal, whether that's two different phrases that feel like they don't go together, practice accepting that both things are true. If you try to go for one of those being true, you will normally hurt yourself and or the other person. If I think, well, he's having a lot of sex with me, therefore he loves me, I will hurt myself. If she's saying her body is, is saying yes, 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 but she's verbally saying, no, I'm not ready, then what that means, gentlemen, is that there's some part of her, whether that's her heart, whether that's her intellect, whether that's her ethics, whether whatever that is, that is saying, I need a slower pacing. And if you cross over that, she could say you raped her, she could say, you know, any number of things, and you don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. So if you are getting two signals from someone, honor both signals and use English. Say, I think yeah. I'm getting two different signals here. I think I'm thinking that I'm feeling a strong attraction and a lot of heat between us, and I'm also hearing that you're wanting to slow down. And I'm wanting to hold both for you. And could you just speak to this? Could you say a little bit more? Could you just tell me what to do? Or yeah, just say a little bit more about what these, because you know, it can feel disempowering sometimes to say, will you tell me what to do? Or it can feel right. like too much pressure, tell me what to do. Sure. But if I just say, would you just tell me a little bit more about these two different signals? And am I even accurate in assessing that there's two different signals? That's an opening of a conversation. If I say I'm hearing that you want to have lots of sex with me, but you don't love me, and those two things feel very like I have to choose one, but I'm just wondering, are they both true? That gentleman can say, yes. I, I, this was my own personal breakthrough where someone was saying something like that to me. It was driving me crazy and I talked to all my girlfriends. What is he really saying? What does he really mean? And then I had a conversation with him where I said, you're giving me two different, very, two different statements, two very different perspectives about you. And I, I had a thought that maybe they're both true. And he just laughed and he said, yeah. Like, of course, yes. Yeah. yeah, of course they're true. And then you're like, oh, yes, two opposing things can be true because this is the universe that we live in. Exactly, exactly. So we're talking today about this uh, process, really, about how do we relate to each other in a way that brings greater ease, fun, joy. And sadly, just rushing for things isn't always the way there. If you rush for anything... You know, sometimes if I eat my food too fast. Oh, yeah, you get the hiccups. You get the hiccups or you get indigestion. And, you know, oh, my God, it's so good in my mouth. But then it's not very good in my body. Sadly, there's a certain kind of rushing that can be like that, too, unless you negotiate to rush. So you're both rushing. Does that work? Oh, absolutely. So I have a, I and many women, listen closely, gentlemen, if you're in this, I and many women have very distinct multiple aspects. The bad news is that could sometimes make us look absolutely freaking crazy to you and the good news is that each one of them makes love in a different way <laughs> so I do have a strong primal I say I need to talk to you I need to get to know you I need certain things set in place before I can feel wild and abandoned and now you know I'm feeling that trust built I might look at you and say now right now you know here right now in public and I'm happy to start ripping your clothes off it's totally fine when the other things are in place right. where that makes it you know, the, the green light. 
That sounds really awesome. So now we're going to go inside for our education in adornment and we'll be talking more about sacred sex, soulmates, pheromones, polyamory, churches having a, an opinion about when and where and why you should be having sex. All sorts of fun stuff on Sexploration with Monica. We'll be right back. So Francesca and I have been looking at shoes. And I was just thinking about the incredible connection between shoes and feet and sexuality. And how often, you know, when I'm at a sex educators conference or something, when I was at the Welcome Consensus, everyone was talking about the instructor's shoes. And women oftentimes will wear very, 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 very sexy shoes, but with a very business-like outfit. Why are feet and shoes so sexy? You know, my best guess, and I have thought about this, is attaches to acupuncture and Ayurveda and the system of energy in the body. And there are several places in the body that energetically replicate the entire body. And one of those are the hands, the feet, the ears, and also the vulva and the phallus. So you can actually do internal acupressure if you look up the nodes, so to speak, of both the phallus and the vulva. But these all relate to the feet. And if we think about how sensual hands can be, we kiss hands or we used to suck fingers. We mm. think about the ears. If you've, if you've never had someone gently playing with your ears or, or licking your ears, you just haven't lived. You should try it. You should try it. Yeah. And then the feet. And I think that they really are all connected in the energy system. Right. Let's also talk about like how clothes and adornment make people feel sexy or not sexy, depending. Um, <laughs> but I think the hope is to feel powerful and or to feel sexy. We often talk about the power suit, uh, the power tie, and then there's the power of sex. And I think the most confusing thing about dressing sexy is that many women dress very provocatively and it's really to feel their own sensuality and power and it's not because they just want to have sex that night right. and this can be very confusing to men because they think oh my god if she dressed that way she must want to have sex right now here in public yeah, yeah. and it's not the case right you know i actually had to explain this to my son when he was 16 and he came home and he said mom do they realize what they do to us when they dress like that? And I said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry to tell you they don't. Right. Another of those mixed signal things that right. we were talking about a bit earlier. So on the subject of mixed messages or different messages that we send when we're in different places, I mean, certainly you wouldn't wear, I mean, would you wear leopard print sparkly shoes to church or a short skirt? Is it because you don't want to be sexy in church or you want to make sure that you're towing the line there, so to speak? I think it definitely depends on the church. I live next to a huge Baptist church. And to see, you know, the ladies go to church on Sunday, some of them are very sparkly, not necessarily short skirts, but it could be sparkly shoes. It could be, you know, rhinestones on a hat or Do they dress. wear leopard print? You know, there could be. There could be leopard print. But I think some churches accept more if we think of the some of the ecstatic churches or the Baptist churches, you know, where they sing and they dance. And in Catholic churches where I come from, you could sing, 
but you couldn't dance. And you weren't trying to say, let's feel the spirit. I want to feel it. Do you feel it? You know, when we think of do you feel the spirit, in a way, that's kundalini. That is the erotic energy that starts in the vulva or the phallus or the at the sacrum at the base of the spine and then is meant to uncoil and have us reach nirvana or ecstasy. I actually had an East Indian boyfriend who had a deep meditative practice. And when I started to teach him how to merge it in sexuality and bring it together, he said, oh my gosh, I've always been doing this. Like I've been doing this my whole life. I didn't actually know that it had to do with my sexuality. I was just taught to feel my energy and raise my energy. But those churches that actually have that feel the spirit, I think consciously or unconsciously allow more of a, of a sensual vibration to be present. And the churches that say, kneel down, pray, be calm. Be very calm when you're in church. Do not raise your voice. Do not say anything. Just focus on what your minister might be telling you so to keep you out of hell. I think those churches have more of a repressed sense around what you may or may not be able to wear or how you sit or, you know, you're not checking into your vulva in the church. Right, right. And who you are and how you act because there's a lot of churches that, you know, would not accept you for being gay. They wouldn't accept you for having sex out of wedlock, all of these different kinds of ways of expressing our sexuality are oftentimes not appropriate in our religious practices. And I wonder about that. I mean, I think about that. Did God make a mistake? Yeah. You know, God is supposed to be perfect everywhere and everything before the beginning, after the end. God has made some people attracted to the same gender. Then that must be sacred. Or God has made us with desire for one another. That must be sacred. This concept that some churches want to draw a line around what is sacred and what isn't sacred, I think goes against the very heart of religion, which is to relink us to God. I've actually had a big falling out with one of my spiritual groups because I try to bring the sacred to people who have multiple lovers, or I try to bring the sacred to people who are using the tools and techniques of BDSM. And my response was, I thought I was taught as a minister to bring the sacred everywhere. I thought that Christ actually spent time with the thieves and the prostitutes, and he actually was bringing the sacred everywhere. So why are you telling me that there's something wrong if I'm doing it? And they literally said, well, if you did it privately, you know, maybe that would be okay. But the fact that you're making it public that's not okay. And then I said, so if I was lying and withholding my authentic practices that connect me to spirit in order to fit in, that lying would be more acceptable than overtly or openly saying everything belongs to the sacred when a conscious and loving intention is present. And the difference between a conscious and loving intention and unconsciousness, like lying or not being aware, I mean, then you're able to have healthy interactions inside of any kind of BDSM play or polyamory. Like if you bring awareness and communication and honesty to those practices, makes them way better. And also not abusive, you know what I mean? Because it could be very abusive if you had BDSM in unconsciousness and, and lying. Or our desire. I think it's so sad that in the Catholic Church, and growing up I found many beautiful things in the Church, but I found it so sad that this natural human desire that God gave us in order to connect and reach out to each other ends up being not acknowledged for the priesthood, and then it goes underground, it goes into that shadow realm where they end up 
perpetrating on young children, boys or girls. And then instead of, you know, once again, bringing it into the light and saying, okay, let's look at this, let's look at these desires, let's look at how they can be manifested in a healthy, conscious way in adult relationships, let's just move them to another parish. Let's mm -hmm. continue to say, if we don't look at it, maybe it's not there. Right. I feel that this denial of what is a part of our humanity is part of why it acts out in very destructive ways in our culture. There's a book by Lou Bordiso. He wrote Sex, Celibacy, and the Priesthood, where he told the real stories of members of the Catholic priesthood and talked about their sexuality, and it was all very anonymous, but like really starting to address, you know, when you say that someone, you know, you take away their choice to be sexual, and they still have a sexuality, how that acts, how that comes out in their life. Exactly. They, where can we put it? In the east, in your feet, in your feet, in your feet, or in the shadows, in the denial. It's in the closet, as so to speak. The East Indian community that I was part of for a while, I would find out that there was incest, there was various things, and nobody could talk about it because you weren't supposed to have an affair outside or you weren't supposed to even date someone if you were growing up. You're supposed to wait until marriage. But the human drive, the sex drive, is our life drive. If we try to deny our anger, I'm a nice person, I never get angry, then it comes out in passive-aggressive ways. It comes out vilifying others. It comes out in witch hunts. If I try to deny that I have sexuality, that's going to come out in some other way. I believe personally that it is the consciousness, the compassion is saying, how can I have compassion for my sex drive and choose to use it in a connective way? How can I have compassion for my anger and listen to its messages without acting out upon it? And I just feel so terrible for our young people. Abstinence is not effective. It's not sex education. It's That's not what sex it's education. Not. Yeah. In Holland, I studied this once again when I was in health education for eight years, that in Holland where they start teaching young people around eight or nine, they give them a lot of information about their bodies, about sexuality, about safe sex, about everything they actually start engaging in sex later and when they engage in sex use protection and in our country where we say don't tell anybody at all or if we tell them just say don't do it we have more people engaging in sex younger and actually not knowing that they're having sex mm -hmm. they they don't think that you know something maybe counts or they didn't they don't know right. what they're doing yeah and they're having a higher rate of chlamydia and gonorrhea infections in high schools because kids don't know that having oral sex is sex and that it's risky. It carries risk for sexually transmitted infection. And sometimes they don't know that having anal sex is sex. Right. And the huge risk of infection. So what we're looking at is a, I believe, a very important shift that needs to happen in our culture. It's, we talked earlier about dating and how being direct with one another actually helps us grow closer rather than trying to hide or play games with each other or play hard to get. It's the same with the sexuality of the church. If we could just speak about it in an open human way, I believe that that brings us closer to divinity. We'll have more about polyamory, pheromones, all sorts of fun on Sexploration with Monica with Francesca Gentili. We'll be right back with more shoes. <laughs> shoes! We have to make up our minds. So now we are perched over Union Square, and Francesca and I have yet to discuss 
polyamory. And you, what, what did you say it was high? High protocol polyamory. What I mean by that is if you think of visiting the queen or you think of talking to an ambassador or even going to another country that has customs that are different than you, you might say, what's the protocol? What's the protocol at dinner? What's the oh, like, how do I eat with a knife and fork yes. when I'm eating with the queen sort of thing? <laughs> or who talks first? Or how do I address her? Or how do I dress him? How do I make sure to keep the highest standards of politeness and comfort for everybody concerned in this you know, different circumstance, this new culture? And when we're entering into another relationship, we're actually entering into another culture, another world, especially if that person already has a partner or a family. That family is its own world. That family is its own culture. So what is the protocol so that I can date you and your honey that would really work for you? What's going to make everyone the most comfortable? Do I email both of you? Do I email one of you? Do I talk to one of you? Or do I talk to both of you if I want to date you? Do I talk to your partner first? What is your protocol? And I really invite people to think of this if you're expanding your relationship. There's an unconscious, uh, unconscious sex, unconscious polyamory, which some people might call cheating, which is, you know, I get... Uh, non-consensual <laughs> non-monogamy. <laughs> yes, non Thank you. Yeah. And so I get this desire, and I can't possibly resist it, and I must grab it now or it'll never come again. And so I sneak out the back door to have some little dalliance or maybe even some big dalliance. But I don't feel good about it. We're all lying. It's sneaking into my relationship in a way that is often creating breaks in our conversation or sometimes some would say breaks in our energy or our connection. And polyamory is technically something where people are many loves, really loving people, really caring about people. And given that we're caring and loving, how can we do that the, the best way possible? We'll talk more about that on the next episode of Sexploration with Monica. Francesca and I will talk more about polyamory versus unconscious non-monogamy or cheating and how polyamory usually turns into a personal growth or spiritual growth experience. Plus, you're floating. You're hot and bothered. You're smitten. And how to tell the difference between true love and pheromones. You can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on iTunes and have new episodes delivered automatically. Or download free podcasts at sexplorationwithmonica.com.